listening to Episode 3 of Full Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 6, Vetra System, 2352, June 4. Perhaps it's some kind of law of the universe. Just when you think everything is fine, bang. We were two days out of Betris. To me, it seemed like a long haul from Dunsany Roads. Part of it due, no doubt, to my inability to let go of the images of that night with Alicia Alvarez. I really needed to get my jacket cleaned. Every time I opened my locker, I caught her scent, and I knew only too well that it was coming from my coat. Part of it was the mental angst being applied by Brill and her insistence that I come to grips with my identity. This quest for identity wasn't anything terribly foreign to me. When your mother's an ancient lit professor, you come to grips with the existential early on. Who am I? Why am I here? Nobody had any really good answers in the old books. It seemed to me that it wasn't the kind of thing you could answer except in hindsight. The problem I was up against at the moment was that at 18 Staniers, I didn't have a whole lot of hind to sight, and I just wished people would leave me alone to deal with it. I was getting ready to relieve Francis for the afternoon watch when Brill stormed into Environmental. Francis and I were standing at the watchstander station when Brill slammed the hatch open so hard it bounced off its stops. That was the first time I'd seen her angry in the months I'd known her, and she was making up for lost time. I looked at Francis, who shrugged in return. Brill grabbed the hatch and slammed it closed with both hands, throwing the dog in lover with a wrench that I thought might twist it out of its socket. She stood there with back turned for a tick, but... When she turned, she was under control. If I hadn't seen the performance with the hatch, I wouldn't have known she was upset. She wasn't even breathing hard. Mr. Huang, when you've relieved the watch, would you join me in my office? She asked formally. Of course, Chief, I said to her back. Francis and I finished the formalities. He shrugged and gave me a hopeful smile before heading for the hatch. It opened easily enough, and I was a little surprised. It wouldn't have surprised me to find it welded shut from the slamming. I did a quick scan of the displays. Slaved my tablet and followed Brill into her office. We were the only ones in the section, but I think she needed the comfort of her space. Whatever it was, it was not going to be fun for either of us. When I turned the corner, she was standing there in the middle of her office. She had her Welkie in her hand, a small wood carving of O'Haran, and was stroking it with her fingers. I wasn't sure she was even aware she had it. You're not going to get the promotion to Spec 3-ish, she said with a catch in her voice. Okay, I said with a shrug, no big deal. She looked at me then, chewing her lower lip a bit. You're being replaced in division by a Spec 3 that's waiting for us in Betris, she said quietly. I waited. Home office finally processed Gregor's transfer and put a replacement in Betris. We picked up the orders from the orbital beacon overnight. I just came from meeting with the captain and Mr. Kelly. She struggled for control. I tried to argue for you. The captain is very angry at home office right now. She assures me that she'll do everything in her power for you, but that she has to take this new guy as soon as we dock. I see, I said. What'll happen then? I don't know. She had all the senior staff in there when I left. They're fighting for you. I heard the butt in her voice. The ASIC popped up, and I cleared it on my tablet without leaving the office. Correct me if I'm wrong, but no slot, no job. But they can be very creative with slots, she pointed out. Look what they did for Pip. Good point, I said, and took a deep breath. Well, I'm crew for a couple more days, I said. I've got to watch the stand. She nodded, and as I left, she said, I tried, Ish. I did. 
I looked back at her and wrinkled my nose. Do you slam hatches like that for everybody? I asked with a grin. She colored a bit and chuckled. Uh, not exactly professional decorum, huh? I shrugged. She got a wicked look on her face. You should have seen the captain. I took a deep breath and said, Trust Lois. After that, it was hard to focus on my duties. I made myself pay special attention to reviewing the log and maintenance schedule. It would have been too easy to overlook something, and I concentrated on it like it was a test. In a lot of ways, I suppose it was, just not the kind I was used to. There didn't appear to be anything on the logs, and there was no maintenance scheduled. I'd need to do my VSI and take a walk through the division. It wasn't the longest watch I've ever stood. It's hard to find a longer watch than a 12-hour overnight port duty watches. But it was close. My mind kept trying to tell me that it would be okay, but my gut kept reminding me of what it was like on a company planet with no job, no resources, and no friends. Brill kept to her office all afternoon. I didn't dare get too close to her. Not that I was afraid of her. I was more afraid of myself. I didn't know what I'd do, and I didn't want to break down into a helpless sob. It occurred to me that she might be feeling the same way. More than once during the afternoon, I found my own Welkie, an exquisitely carved dolphin, in my hands, with my thumb stroking the smooth, oiled wood. What worried me most was that I hadn't heard from the captain. I liked her and respected her a lot. On the one hand, she knew I was on watch and would be unlikely to summon me in the middle of it. On the other hand, it probably meant she had no answers for me yet. All I could do was trust Lois and stand my watch. Watch ended eventually. Francis showed up a few minutes early, a very unusual thing for him to do. It's all over the ship, he said quietly. Raw deal-ish. I shrugged. It's one hand, and the game ain't over, I told him, with what I hoped was more assurance than I really felt. She's still in there? he asked, nodding at the office. Been there all afternoon, unless she slipped out while I was on VSI. He sighed. I think I did, too. Then he took the watch, and I headed out to get cleaned up for dinner. I never made it out of the hatch before the captain's summons hit my tablet. I stopped for a tick and birthing to splash some water on my face and to wash the cruft off my hands. Straightened my ship suit and wished, idly, that I had gotten my lucky stone back from Brill and Dunsany. <laughs> then they laughed a small laugh and went to see what the captain had to say. When I entered the cabin, the senior officers were there with her, Mr. Maxwell, the first mate, Mr. Cotton, the cargo chief, and Mr. Kelly, the engine chief. They looked calm, cool, and collected. That wasn't necessarily a good sign. These people were pros, and they'd been dealing with this kind of situation for longer than I'd been alive. I couldn't imagine that I was the first junior crewman to get bumped off a ship. Just a thought put a lump in my gut, but I stood braced as well as I could. Relax, Ishmael, the captain said informally. You're just getting off watch, but I wanted you to know what we know. You're going to be mobbed when you leave here, and I don't want you surprised. Thank you, Captain, I told her sincerely. First, you know from Brill that you're being bumped from the environmental section. She said it like she wanted confirmation, but only as a formality. Yes, sir, I said, I've been so informed. Second, you know, I hope, that I'm not pleased with this unwarranted interference with the smooth operation of my vessel, but I have a duty to the owners. Yes, sir, I said, I understand completely, sir. The hell of it was I did. Rock and hard place time, and nobody liked it, but part of our job was to be squished periodically. Third, I need to tell you that your contract with Federated Freight permits them to put you ashore with half pay if no alternate berth is available in the event that you become surplus crew. If an alternate berth is available on any Federated ship, but you refuse it as is your right, that provision is void. 
Thank you, Captain, I said. I wasn't aware of that, but I appreciate the warning. Will that provision be a problem? We're still looking at that, Ishmael, she said. At the moment, no. There are only three other ships in Betras at the moment. Only one is Federated Freight, and she has no openings for you to turn down. If you have to go ashore, it'll be at least at half pay. We all knew that half pay wouldn't go far in an orbital in terms of paying for room and board, but nobody mentioned it. Last, you are eligible to bump any junior crewman from the ship with the proviso that you are qualified to take their position. You are rated at least half share in all four divisions and full share in two more. It's your right to bump any quarter share crew aboard and most of the deck and engine crew. So I could stay, but only at the expense of a shipmate, Captain? Precisely. Thank you, Captain. Will you be exercising that right, Mr. Huang? Mr. Maxwell asked. No, sir, I replied. It's my problem. I'll deal with it, sir. Previously in my dealings with the captain and the senior officers, this was the point in the conversation when they did a little look-around-and-nod thing. It was ominous that they were all just staring straight ahead. The captain looked at me and said, Thank you, Mr. Huang. We're still working on this, but that's all for now. Dismissed. Thank you, Captain. And I turned to go. Dinner was well underway by the time I got there, and when I stepped into the mess deck, I thought, a little quieter. Cookie had made a lovely fish and pasta dish with a spicy cream sauce and peas. Sarah smiled at me, but I wasn't sure if she understood what was happening. Pip definitely knew, and he was looking angry. I smiled at him and just gave a little shake of the head. Later, I told him softly. Cookie was hovering in the background, and I couldn't read the expression on his face. It looked almost like pride, but I couldn't imagine why that would be. Brill and Diane were sitting together, and there was an open seat, so I settled there. Is it a little chilly in here? I asked with a little grin. Perhaps a bit, Diane said consideringly. Brill hid her mouth in her coffee mug and said, Half of them think you're going to bump them, and the other half know it could just as easily be them. Well, that's silly, I said loudly. I'm not bumping anyone. I didn't intend it to be a general announcement, but it fell into one of those lulls that happen in any group periodically and just came out that way started eating. I could feel everybody on the mess deck looking at me, and I let them look. The sauce was a little hotter than it looked, and it kind of snuck up on me. Not unpleasantly, just enough to make my nose run a little. Slowly, the conversation picked up around us. Brill and Diane just sat there with me, and we didn't talk for a while. Dinner was good, though, and I savored their company as well as the meal. Eventually, I cleaned my plate and smiled at them both. I'm going to go lay down and let this settle, I think. I know better than to hit the track with this much food in my belly. Brill winked at me with a sad little smile of her own. Diane patted me on the back and said, See you in the morning, Ish. Don't be late. I bust my dishes and headed for birthing. People seemed a little more relaxed, even sympathetic now, now that they knew I wasn't a threat. kind of made me mad, but I understood it. When you're up against it, there are places you might go. Throwing somebody else off the ship was my right for having earned the rating. It was within the letter of the rule. I just wasn't something I could do. They didn't know that, so it was easy for them to assume that I'd claim the right and privileges of the rank. I found the dolphin in my hand again and smiled. I pulled out my tablet to set an alarm for 2100. It had just gone 1900, and I could sleep for a couple of hours without hurting my feelings. I was feeling a little wrung out, truth be told. Halfway to my bunk, though, the ship hit something. It wasn't like a hard crash, bodies flying in vacuums, sucking us out through holes in the hull or anything, but more of a really loud hissing sound like we were diving through a veil of sand and a shifting in my inner ear as if we'd changed vector reminded me of the moving lift feeling I got at pull-out 
Didn't really have time to think about it, though, because the ship went dark and silent, and I felt myself floating with the momentum of my last solid step on the deck. Now, dark and silent are two things you never want on a ship. Dark means the power's out. Silent means no air. Without power, air was going to be an issue. I was shocked into immobility. I froze right there, drifting awkwardly in the passage and trying to remember if there was anything I was supposed to do. It was reflex to pull out the tablet, but there was no signal, and a blinking LED on the side told me that the network was gone. I flicked it on anyway, and the backlit screen gave me enough light to see up and down the passage. Altogether, it only lasted maybe five heartbeats, but it seemed much, much longer. I had just about enough time to think, Gravity's Rainbow, Thomas Pynchon, Mother would be proud. Then the emergency power came back online, and with it the emergency lights, the klaxon alarm, and the gravity. I was grateful for the light. I could have passed on the klaxon. It wasn't any of the patterns I knew. The gravity, while useful, created an interesting reintegration of my body with the decking, rather suddenly. Luckily I hit head first. After making sure I'd done no damage to the deck by laying on it groggily for a few moments, I scrambled to my feet and headed for environmental as fast as I could go in the reduced light. I passed several people on the way who all shared that same seriously dazed expression. We didn't stop to talk. If we lived, we'd talk later. I made it to the hatch into environmental just as the klaxon cut off. All hands to general quarters. All hands to general quarters. Section leaders report via radio to the bridge. Brill and Diane stumbled in behind me, and Francis was in the chair running diagnostics on the console. Brill slammed and dogged the hatch behind her and began barking. What do we got, Francis? Complete power loss for five seconds. Emergency power online. Our operational status unknown. Shipnet offline. Data feeds to all systems not available. Blowers are blowing, but whether they're blowing anything useful, I can't tell. Diane-ish. Grab portable sniffers. Make sure nothing nasty is in here, and then stick one into the main air intake and make sure we're not sucking in anything. Watch the O2 and CO2 levels. We can add O2, but if the CO2 starts building, getting rid of it is going to be a challenge. She went to her office, pulled out a rack of radio communicators, and started passing them out while calling the bridge and giving her status report. Three ticks later, we were gathered at the largely useless console. Report, she said. Nothing in the sniffers. Air mixture is good, for now, Diane said. Scrubbers look okay. Nothing at power fluctuation should damage them. Same here on the sniffer, I said. Nothing unusual coming in the main intake stream. I left mine taped up with the audible on. If it sniffs something out of range, we should hear it. Francis said, Console seems operational, but without shipnet, there's nothing it can do. I can't tell if the senses are even alive. Immediate danger? Brill asked. We all shook our heads. She got on the blower to the bridge while we settled down to wait. Diane stuck her head in every scrubber cabinet again to make sure they were okay. Francis and I took another walk about the section, looking for anything out of ordinary. At 19.15, the overheads piped with, This is the captain speaking. Here's what we have, people. We ran through the residue of an unreported coronal mass ejection with associated EMP. The high-speed mass took off some paint, but the EMP toasted our sail generators and knocked down the ship net. We've notified Betris Orbital. We're in no immediate danger. We're just going to be a bit delayed getting into port. We're on a ballistic trajectory inbound, but going too fast for the tugs to snag us, and we're going to have to do a flyby and come back on the other side. Repeat, we're in no immediate danger. If the condition changes, I'll let you all know. That is all. We were still in the look-at-each-other-in-shrug mode just before shifting into the now-what-do-we-do stage when Brill's radio bipped and Mr. Maxwell's voice came over the little speaker. Brill's Ishmael there, he asked. Yes, sir, standing right here. Have him collect his portable and report to the bridge at his earliest convenience, please. Aye, sir, she said. Maxwell out. 
Beats me, I said, without waiting for the question, but I'll let you know as soon as I can. I raced for the hatch, my locker, and the bridge in that order. I slammed to the top of the ladder in less than a tick and gave a breathless, Benjamin Wang reporting was ordered. I'd learned long ago that earliest convenience was officer speak for get your butt over here now. Under these circumstances, I was happy to comply. Mr. Von Nichols was waiting. You brought it? I held it up. Okay, Ish, he said. Focus. This is a test. And he grinned. He scraped a pile of smoldery-looking circuit boards off a console and onto the deck and said, set it up here and boot it. This was a test. I let my brain sink into it. All the stuff going on around me faded out as I did what he asked, and I focused. He handed me a cube and said, this is the minimum shipnet code. Run it. I settled the system and mounted the cube. I recognized the language on the cube and realized I needed to make some modifications to get it to run on the portable. I need ten ticks, I said, without looking up and without waiting for permission. You have eight. I did it in five and booted the shipnet of my portable. It crashed, but I found the error immediately, and the second time it stayed up. I sat back and watched as displays across the bridge winked into life. I heard people laughing and some cheering before the quiet efficiency of the bridge was restored. I looked up and around then, with a feeling that I was surfacing as if from one of my tests. Mr. Von Nichols was looking down at me with a big grin. Did I pass? I asked. Congratulations, Mr. Huang. You're now certified Spec 2 in systems, and if we live, I will so note in your personnel jacket, he said with a laugh. If we lit, I started to say, and then looked over his shoulder and out of the forward port. There looked like an awful lot of planet out there. The captain's words, ballistic trajectory, came back to me. You have an excellent grasp of the situation, Mr. Von Nichols said softly. Now focus. I turned back to the portable, taking a quick status of the system. The network was pushing it hard, but without the big databases and other supporting information normally hung off the network, we were in good shape. The problem had been with the network status coordination functions, the central routing hub. And with that in place, secondary hubs across the ship came online and began sharing the load. Power, sir. I need to plug this in as the battery will go within a stand. He pointed to a receptacle just inside the console. There wasn't a door. It looked like somebody had just ripped the panel out. I reached down, plugged in the portable, and watched the indicator shift from drain to charge. The extra power gave the processor another jolt, kicking it out of low power mode, and it started to gain ground on the backlog of queued commands. I pulled out my tablet and brought out the environmental watch standard display. CO2 was up. Particulates were up. O2 was a little low, but within parameters. I brought up the sensor overlay that I used on my VSI and ran an all-node query watching as they flashed in order. Three of them were out near the port bow section, but the rest was all in order. Sar, request permission to report to Brill, I said to Mr. Von Nichols. He glanced at my tablet and said, Her tablet should be live, too. Bipper with it. Any problems, he asked. I shook my head. No, we just have some sensors offline in the port bow. I want to get them logged so we can add them to the queue. The rest I'll see on the big console down there. The acknowledgement came back almost instantly from Brill. Got it, Mr. Kelly almost shouted from across the bridge. Mitch Fitzroy crawled out from under a console with something sooty across the top of his face and a big smile across the bottom. I noticed the captain for the first time when she said, Bring us about, helm, yaw 90 degrees, port, flat. The helmsman replied with a crisp, Yaw 90 degrees, port, flat, ISAR, and the big planet outside the front port began to slide off to starboard. Mr. Kelly, if you could provide a small vector adjustment so we miss that planet, I'd be grateful, my captain said with a wry smile. Aye, Captain. All ahead full and damn the red lines, he replied jauntily. There was the slightest of moving lift feeling in my inner ear, and as it faded, so did the tension in the bridge. 
Have we sufficient fuel, Mr. Kelly? the captain asked. Yes, Captain, we'll miss it, although you may want to straighten the ship as we go by so the stern doesn't bump. The way everybody chuckled at that, I assumed it was a joke. Mr. Von Eichels grabbed a roll of tape and ran a couple of strips across the portable so it wouldn't slide off the console, being careful not to cover any critical heat vents or data ports. He patted me on the shoulder and said, Come on, Ish, we've got another little test for you. Over his shoulder, he said, I'm going to take Mr. Huang with me to Systems Main, Captain. Thank you, Mr. Von Eichels, she said with a brisk nod. Carry on. He left at a near trot, and I nearly trotted right along behind him. Systems Main was right under the bridge. I didn't know what I was expecting, but it was a closet. A walk-in closet, but a closet. Follow your nose-ish, he said. There's at least one burned-out board down here. We need to find it and replace it. He started opening cabinets and sniffing down one side of the closet, so I started on the other. It was tight, but we were able to work side by side. The fourth door I opened, I didn't need to smell. I saw a puff of smoke get sucked out into the backdraft from the opening drawer. Found one or two, I said. Mr. Von Nichols stepped up beside me and squeezed down to look in. Yep, phew, I hate that smell. He unclipped a couple of latches and the whole interior of the cabinet rolled out. He showed me where to release the door hinge so it would fold back against the next door and we were able to see the whole rack at once. There were about 35 cards mounted in the rack. Judging from the scorch marks, half of them were burned in at least one place. Looks like it got a little hot in here, he said idly. I wonder why. Okay, Ish, he said. We need to pull all this crap out and replace it. It's part of the main shipnet comms array and probably the reason the net's down. The network routers need these controllers to stay in sync across the peripheral systems. My portable is carrying all this? I asked incredulously. He laughed. No, your portable is carrying just enough for those control systems to talk to the instrumentation. There's no supporting databases. Half the instruments on the ship are reporting a malfunction just because the data they need for calibration isn't available. Lesson later, parts now. Tell me what to do. Move over, he said, and slid on his back under the drawer and out beside my feet. The power bus is the blue cable on the back, he said as he slid. Pull it and that'll power off the cage. I found it, released the safety catch and unplugged it. A sizzling I hadn't been aware of stopped. Good, he said. Pull the cards, all of them. Toss them out in the passage so they're not underfoot here. Don't worry about breaking them, just clear it. I'm going to run for replacements and pray we have the full set. He looked down again at the cage. We should. Most of these are standard routers and comm boards. He smiled at me. I love standardized parts. Don't just stand there, Ish. The clock is ticking. This is a test. Focus. And he ran out of the closet. I turned to the rack and took a quick look at the layout in the cage. I found the releases and started pulling them. Some of them were pretty hot, but I had the cage cleared and even released it from its slides and shaken out the residue as best I could. It looked pretty clean except for the scorch marks around three of the sockets and along the upper rails. I was just locking it back down when he came in with a pile of cards and static-proof envelopes, stacked like cordwood in his arms. He thrust them at me and slid under the case again. Give me that one right on top, please, Ish, he said, and I handed him a card. He had a belt knife that made short shrift of the protective covers, and he mounted it in the middle of the cage. Nice work clearing away, he muttered, as he seated the card and clipped the latch down. Next card. I handed him card after card after card, each one he clipped in with a precision that was elegant. Slice, position, mount, seat, clip, next. We went through that pile of cards so fast I barely had time to get a grip on one before he was calling for it. He reached back, plugged in the power cord, and locked it down. With a nod of his head, we grabbed our respective sides and slid the whole rack back into the wall. One down, he said. See if there's any more. We found four more cabinets with damaged cards, but nothing as extensive as the first. It took less than a half a stand, but we'd been through the whole cabinet, and we were pretty confident that nothing else was toasted. We backed out, and he pointed to a big green button with the word reset on it mounted just inside the door. It was dark. You want to do the honors? he asked with a grin. 
Do we need to take the portable down first? He shook his head. Ship system will detect it. It'll be fine. I shrugged and pressed the green button hard. Not that one! Mr. Von Nichols yelled. I jumped about a foot and pulled back as fast as I could, but it was already green and I could hear the powered fan starting up in the closet. I looked at it and I'm sure I looked just as bad as I felt. Oh, no, sorry. Yeah, that's the one. He said with a grin, and we both started laughing. He beckoned. Come on, let's go see how the folks upstairs are doing. We got up to the bridge, and I could already see that things had calmed down. The network displays were all up, and only a couple had blinking red lights. Report, Mr. Von Nichols, the captain said evenly. Systems main secured, Captain. Some serious burnings in network bus cabinet, but best hypothesis is that the EMP started a cascade that fused out in the bus cabinet. I thought we were hardened against that occurrence, Mr. Von Nichols, she said. We are, he said, but it happened anyway. Either the hardening wasn't as hard as we thought, or the EMP was stronger than the specs. Shipnet status? she asked. Cabinet is hot, net should be live, but I haven't had a chance to inventory the systems, he said. We may yet find some surprises. Carry on, Mr. Von Nichols. Aye, Captain, he said. We stepped back to where my portable was taped to the console, and I could see on the status display for the Shipnet software that a lot more nodes were up, and the main system had taken the load. Almost nothing was being routed through the portable anymore. I turned to Mr. Von Nichols and asked, Do you want to keep this up here until the repairs are completed, sir? He looked at it and then at me. Actually, I'd feel safer if we shut it down and stowed it in a grounded locker, say, one in engineering berthing. He raised an eyebrow at me to see if I understood his message, in case that wasn't the only stray EMP, sir. Exactly so, Mr. Huang, exactly so. I shut down the portable then and unmounted the cube and peeled it off the counter. I tried to hand the cube to Mr. Von Nichols and he said, Why don't you store that with the portable? just in case. You're certain, sir, I asked. This is important code. Is it safe with me? He laughed at that. I think it may be safer with you than with me. Just keep it locked in your locker. I can't hurt to have a backup. I shrugged. Aye, sir. Anything else I can help you with, sir? Well, I think saving the ship is enough for one day-ish. Why don't you go stow that and see if you can give Brill a hand? Dismiss, Mr. Huang. Aye, aye, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Ishmael, he said seriously. I headed back to environmental, if nothing else, I'd get a few more days aboard while we made the long pass around the back side of the planet and finished our emergency repairs. Thanks for listening to Full Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper. Music is from the Fox Hunters, an Irish slip jig originally recorded in 1984 by James Curran and available on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandus. Offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 2.5 license. For website and more information on the Golden Age, visit www.dorandis.org/golden.